typical spring weather has arrived and that means that spring sports have begun. It can be uh, between 40 and 70 degrees outside, rain, snow, sunny, all of that even on the same day. So welcome into the 719 Coaches Show. My name is Dan Mormon. With spring sports in action, I thought it was a good idea to hit the ground running, so I sought out Doherty Girls Golf Coach Colin Prater. I've known Colin since he was a kid. It's been fun to watch him grow up and really become a heck of a golfer himself. He's probably one of the more celebrated amateur golfers in Colorado right now. Had a chance to turn pro. He gets into why he didn't throughout the podcast. We had fun talking about his journey from high school college golfer to coach, teacher, uh, he's gotten to do some really cool things. He got to uh, caddy for Major League Baseball Hall of Famer John Smoltz in the U.S. Senior Open that was played at the Broadmoor a few years back. So we got into that a little bit. And it was just a, a great talk with a young up-and-coming coach. He also serves on Doherty's uh, boys basketball coaching staff. So again, touched on that a little bit. We did have a couple of audio issues in the first half of the interview, but I think we got those sorted out in the later part, so I apologize for low levels early in the pod. We had a lot of variety in this one, so sit back and enjoy my interview with Doherty Girls Golf Coach Colin Prater. You feel like uh, weather's held up for you a little bit early? I mean, I know Wednesday wasn't ideal. You guys had to push a tournament, but overall, girls golf always seems to be kind of the wild card when it comes to to sports and to spring sports and the weather. Can't complain. Absolutely not. Um, shoot, Monday for the first event, it was close to eighty degrees. Mm-hmm. I got to play golf afterwards. It would mean it was beautiful out. Um, yeah, but absolutely, it's it's just like trying to hit the lottery sometimes. Um, fortunately, I think yesterday was a great event. Um, missed any sort of weather so yeah we'll see <laughs> I don't want to jinx anything so like yeah it's been it was a great first week for, for us at Dory here um, but we'll see <laughs> um because of COVID this is only your second year doing this right yeah second year and I, I always like to, to tell you that I did do two weeks prior to COVID Right. In 2020. But um, so you, you never really got the um, that timetable of where girls state golf was pretty much in the middle of May when it was almost guaranteed that weather was going to be a factor. Do you like the move going going after Memorial Day or is that something that, you know, as a teacher and a coach, maybe towards May that, you know, maybe that was just a little too late? Well, this will be the first time I experienced that because last right. year we had the last week of June uh-huh. <laughs> as state um no I, I love the idea um i know when i was qualifying for us opens th- from 2013 to 2020 it, and that was the first week of may it always seemed like at least one or two of the qualifiers were postponed so i think it's a smart idea i like it um it is always nice to when school's out to be done <laughs> but just postponing that by a week i don't think is too, too too such a bad idea and hopefully you get a little bit better weather, um, especially along the front range when you're not going to see as much snow. So uh, you guys, if you get some girls to qualify, you're going to go up to the old course in Loveland. What do you know about that course, and how do you think that plays out for a girls' golf tournament? I've never, never stepped foot at old course. Really? Of all the places that you could play? It's and one, of the, one of the few that I've never seen. Um, so I think I'm super excited. Um, should have a girl or two. In theory, qualify. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to get up there and play it sometime soon. <laughs> Just so you know what to, how to, how, how to, to coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You and I have known each other for a long time. I still remember you as a little kid dribbling a basketball around with uh, your grandpa when he was the JV coach over at Manitou Springs, the JV basketball coach. But um, how, with the diverse sports background in your family, and especially with your grandpa, who was a football coach, basketball coach, I know he played golf a ton growing up. How did you navigate to golf as your primary sport? I think I just got lucky. Um, I played three sports at Palmer. Uh, golf, basketball, and baseball. Um, and I actually got hurt <laughs> uh, the spring of my sophomore year. Hurt my elbow in June, so I guess going into my junior year. And I kind of couldn't really throw baseball, and I couldn't really shoot a basketball for like six months. And so I just kind of really started to dive headfirst into playing golf. And so I think I really took off my junior year is when I really started to fall in love with it. And I love the game and, and understanding that every single day it's a brand new challenge. And no matter what you did the previous day, it has no, I guess, sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Value. Because <laughs> it's a brand new day and you got to go attack the golf course you're playing. Um, and so I love that challenge and I still love it today, I guess now 10 years, 10 years later. When you were getting recruited out of Palmer, um, I think you told me at one point that you were hoping for a little bit more local, local love. And you end up going to Mesa your freshman year. What was that experience like? And how soon into that did you know that you were going to try and transfer if you had the opportunity? Especially after going on to win, you, you were freshman of the year, if I remember right. You won the Phil Mickelson Award or something, didn't you? Yeah, I had a, I had a very successful freshman year from going to school and trying just to get used to college life and thinking that I'm going to redshirt to eight months later winning the National Freshman of the Year Award. It's pretty – I think I was a little bit off in <laughs> my potential and – Your self-evaluation? Yeah. Um, I absolutely loved Colorado Mesa. It was a great time. Uh, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about my golf game. Um, and I think I grew a lot both on and off the golf course. Um, as far as transferring, I, I had no intention of transferring after I got back from Nationals. I was, I was kind of dead set on, on going to Mesa for another year. And I got super lucky. I just had some opportunities come at me. And uh, Coach Trujillo at UCCS was one of my biggest supporters, I would say. And so I thought, hey, he's going to help me the best player I can be and so why not go play for him at UCCS. Did it help that it was closer to your folks to your grandpa in your hometown or was that really not a factor it was just maybe an added benefit to everything? Um, I don't know if it was so much a factor I am an only child so family is super important to me. Uh, I'm super blessed and lucky that pretty much my entire family does live here like my uncle and my, his two daughters and my gramps and my parents and everything. I think I love the ability to be able to go get a steak with my grandparents on a Thursday night at Texas Roadhouse and drive 10 minutes from campus. Um, that's something that I look back on now and really appreciate and really love those memories. Um, 
I think just being in good place mentally allowed me to then also perform on the golf course because I had that support system. And it wasn't just collegiately. You you qualified for how many NCAA tournaments did you qualify for as a college player? So I only played in two. I qualified as a freshman and I qualified as a senior. Um, I missed, I lost in a playoff the other two times to go to Natty's as an Indy. So. Well, and then uh, just around Colorado, CGA tournaments, whether it's the AM, the match play, everything, the Pikes Peak Amateur here in town, you've made quite the name for yourself as a player. What is it about being able to get out and showcase what you can do around the state on an amateur level that really, you know, what's appealing about that for you? Yeah, I think there's that that inner drive, that inner challenge that I want to be the best player in the state. And whether it's a, I have the label as a professional, whether I have the label as an amateur, it doesn't really matter. I'm just trying to get better um, and trying to set new records and trying to get my name on trophies literally as many times as I possibly can. Like, I just love, I don't know. I, I don't know if, I, don't, I, I try not to convey cockiness. I try to convey confidence. But I have the mentality that it doesn't matter who's here. I'm going to win. And it's not, it's not because I think I'm the best. I just know in my heart that I've put in enough time, I've put in enough work, and I'm confident enough that I can play with anybody in the state. That doesn't really exude itself if, if anyone were to come and watch you. I mean, you're right down the block from where I live, so I like to come watch when you're playing in the city championship or the Pikes Peak Am. And you're very, I don't want to say emotionless on the course, but you're very even keeled. Um, and yet you talk with this competitive spirit and this competitive nature. How do you, you know, how do you have that in you and still kind of maintain that composure that you do on the course? Uh, I definitely get hot at times. <laughs> I've known to, to, to say a bad word here and then, but I try to keep it within myself. Um, and my gramps always, always told me that you can never let your emotions or your feelings influence or dictate the next shot you make. So I try to do a really good job of, of letting my emotions out and then completely clearing my mind and be 100% into the next shot and try to hit the next shot to the best of my ability. Unfortunately, more often than not, it works. <laughs> uh, sometimes I'll make a bad swing here and there, but everyone's going to do that now and then. So it's golf. It's it's natural, right? Yeah. Um, I like I like riding around with your grandpa in a car, dirt, watching you play. If I don't know what the mentality is that would predate old school, but whatever that is, that's probably where Carl falls. Um, he loves you, he's your grandpa, he's your family, so you know he has your back. But the probably the number one phrase I hear the most when sitting with him is, well, he's just not very good. What is it about the way that he kind of brings that mentality that if you want to if you want to be great at this, that you have to be great at it, that has really helped you in all facets of your life, whether it's golf, whether it's teaching, whether it's coaching? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's always one that's really big on just putting the time, putting in the effort, putting in the practice. Um, he was always really big on that, even from when the time I was five, six, seven years old. And I never understood it. Like, I just, I didn't get it. I could just never understand why he would, expected me to perform better than I ever did. And no matter if I still won the event or if I finished last, like, I can always be better. I can always be more crisp. I can always be more accurate. 
And whether it's on the baseball field, whether it's shooting a jumper in the, on, on the court, whether it's hitting a putt. Um, and so I think, long story short, when I was about 16 or 17, I finally started to understand that. And it's just, I think, made me a better person. It's a, that's a, it's a tough question. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it correctly. Uh, I mean, let's let's go to a, a mutual friend of ours, Ken Vecchio, right? Ken has always said that his best coaches were the guys that got him to do something that he didn't think he could do. Is that a good way of, of really phrasing what your grandpa's role in your life is, that he's someone who has always pushed you to do something that is maybe above the expectations that you had for yourself? Yeah, I think he always saw more potential in me than I saw in myself. And he always believed in me more than I believed in myself. And he always criticized me more than I did myself. <laughs> right? So it's both sides of the of the apple there. Um, yeah, he's just, he's a mean old man that I love, <laughs> that I love to death. And I want to be nearly successful and happy and in a great place without him. Um, what was behind the decision to maybe not go the professional route in golf and, and do what you needed to do to take care and get your, your teaching license and maybe and go into the high school coaching avenue the same way that he did and that your uncle has? Yeah, I always say I always joke that it's in my blood, so I was just destined to, to be a teacher. Um, I got to now become a PE teacher like them. But, um, yeah. I think I, I never thought I was going to love teaching as much as I do and love interacting with kids and um, seeing that light bulb moment in kids' eyes and just helping them understand who they are and at the same time being that person that my grams was to me, seeing potential in them um, and pushing them to achieve something more than they think they can. I love that uh, journey. I love that path. I, I, I love everything about it. Um, and I think I was a little bit selfish at first, um, wanting to go pursue my dream and not taking it in, into consideration my wife's ideas and my wife's dreams. Um, and so stepping back and, and thinking about it more, I don't know if it was best for the both of us. And absolutely 100%, she would support me and no matter what I did and she would have done anything for me if I said let's go to Phoenix she would have been like okay let's do it um, but she's also really close with her family and they live here in the Springs and so pulling her away from that would have also been a terrible decision and so we just decided collectively that what was best for us was to stay here in Colorado and if I end up turning pro and going and playing in some professional events if I can get better because I gotta get a whole <laughs> lot better because I'm not gonna be one that's gonna wanna just go say hey I played in a pro event like, if I go play in a pro event, I want to have the same mentality I've always had, which is that I'm the best player here, and I can win this event. So being the low am in the Colorado Open doesn't that, – that's not the, the door that you're looking for to slap that – or rip that amateur label off and try and go win money by playing in that same tournament. Yeah, I think it, the only way I would, I would have a different mentality is if I go win the Colorado Open. Like, that's my goal this year, and that's going to be my goal next goal for the next 10 years is I would like to win the card open because then it's a, it's a slap in the face to all those guys that think they're pros. 
that they just got their butt whooped by an amateur. And also, too, right, like we were talking about that earlier, like labels. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm the best player for these four days. Like, I just love that. Okay. Um, what do you? What kind of potential do you see in your girls this spring that you're you're really hoping to draw out? I know there was a good, uh, there were some good performances at Fountain Fort Carson yesterday at the Country Club of Colorado. I think you know everyone kind of slipped back a little bit. But what are you seeing in your team right now that really excites you? Not just for this year, but for your future as a coach. So I think it's work ethic um, and just the love of the game. I have a super small team this year, um, but some young girls that have a passion for the game. And that's always my thing is I want to convey my love for the game to them. And so it's nice that I don't actually have to do that. <laughs> I can just coach them and, and help them and, and share my experiences with them and hopefully get them to experience stuff outside of, of me always being there. So I'm one that's, I love to be hands-on on the golf course and I love to not be hands-on. Like just let them breathe, let them get into a round and play a couple holes. Because I think it, in order to evolve as a golfer, you have to start to kind of learn and make adjustments on your own. If someone's always there helping you, telling you aim here, hit this club, you're not gonna evolve and you're not gonna get any better. So I love that some of the girls I have this year just have that passion and have that will and, and want to get better. You're a young, competitive guy. How hard is it for you at times if you're trying to convey that message of you need to make this one little tweak, whether it's setup, uh, takeaway, you know, uh, grip, hand placement, whatever? Does it drive you nuts if you know you can you can do what you're trying to convey, and maybe a player's not picking it up, or it's taking them longer to pick it up than you would like? Yeah, absolutely. It gets frustrating, but I'm I think the teacher side of me comes out. And that I try to say the same thing three different ways. So if I'm like trying to get extension in the arms. I may say, hey, straighten your left arm. I may say, hey, straighten your right arm. I may say, hey, straighten both arms. The same way to say, it's this, three different ways to say the same thing. Um, and I, I love that. I love that challenge because it's awesome. Because just because I think of the golf swing or I think of a particular shot one way, doesn't mean I can convey that feeling and that understanding to my player. You uh, you jumped into the basketball world. You're on the boys' basketball staff. You've been there for a couple years now? Yeah, it's just finished my second year. Uh, how hard is it to transition from working in a team environment where you have to have five players working collectively to achieve a goal on the floor to working with individuals and those individuals being completely different in their style of play and the way they approach the game? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. Um, with golf, it's, it's just you and the golf course. And there's nothing else. There's nothing else that interferes. In basketball, it's, we're really good at times if it's 5 on 0 Because there's nothing else that interferes. It's just our five guys and the hoop. Hey, we're a pretty good team. But you throw a, a completely different team out there. Um, those challenges are 100% different. Um, I mean, we, like every team. We have challenges amongst our teammates. And so Coach Steiner and I have really tried to convey this, this idea of, of being a team and doing what's best for the team and not worrying so much about yourself. You can't have that mindset in golf. Sometimes you have to be selfish in order to get better. Let's be honest. Um, you have to do what's best for you. 
And so in golf, I'm trying to get my, my girls to, to be more self-motivated, to be more engaged and take their mind off of golf in between shots and then turn that level of focus up just a notch when they're going to hit a shot. And then they can go back to, to, to chatting or talking with me or whatever and stay relaxed um, because you're going to be out on the golf course for five, six, seven hours. In basketball, you want kids engaged 100%, all in, focused for how many ever minutes they're on the floor. And so that balance of totally engaged for the entire game and trying to only stay engaged for just one shot at a time is completely different. And so I love how they're completely different. <laughs> um, how has joining the basketball staff helped you develop as a teacher, um, just as an overall coach, maybe even as a golfer, if, if that can somehow play into it? I think it's the idea that you're always consistently learning. And so it just kind of refreshes your mind because you're like, you don't know everything. You're never going to know everything, even though my gramps may think he knows everything. Just ask him. Because he's only been in the been coaching football for 58 years now. <laughs> um, and we have another older gentleman, and Coach Blanc, who's been coaching basketball for 50 years on our staff. Um, and he's just got a great mentality. He's like, hey, I've done it this way, but I'd love to learn on how you see this. How do you approach this? Uh, even if it's just breaking down film. Or we're out and about in Colorado Springs watching Discovery Canyon and Lewis Palmer play. Or I'm down at Harrison watching them play. That sort of thing. Um, is he still to this day is consistently always willing to learn and get better and understand the game more. And I love basketball because just when you think you know it, you get smacked right in the face. And it motivates you to, to get better and you hope that you're not second guessing and you're rethinking and you're up at night because you're like, man, we could have called a timeout here. Um, and so I love that aspect because you just don't, you don't get that really in golf. You you never have that mindset whether you're playing in the the match play or the Colorado Am or Patty Jewett Am that I hit the wrong club on on six or anything like that that doesn't keep you up at night. No, and that's where I think I've evolved enough on the golf course. Because like I never like as soon as I hit a hit a bad shot or miss a putt, and putts are an exception for me. Um, I think I'm a very poor putter, and so I I really struggle mentally when I miss putts a lot. Uh, and I let previous reads and previous putts dictate my future reads and putts, and I think sometimes that gets me in trouble. Uh, but as far as golf swing is concerned, I've always been a great ball striker because I never worry about hitting a bad shot. It's like, I wish I could never worry about missing a putt. But if I'm like, hey, you just hit the putt up there, it'll go in. I feel like I don't putt nearly as well, versus I'm trying to roll it over this spot. If it rolls over that spot, then it goes in the hole. And then I get really frustrated when I roll it right over that spot, and then it doesn't go in the hole. So it's just, it's that balance, you know, always trying to grow mentally and figure out what's best for you um you you and i have talked about what i'm about to ask you a couple of times but the uh what was it the 2018 u.s senior open you get a phone call that 
Hall of Fame pitcher John Smoltz needs a caddy. What was what was that experience like taking the phone call from Russ Miller, uh, director of golf over at the Broadmoor, till you know to actually going through that process and caddying for John? Yeah, I think the first words that came out of my mouth were were not the best. It was pretty much oh crap, um, freaking out. Uh, it was it was an honor that Russ thought of me as a as a person that could help John get around the Broadmoor. And it was the craziest, quickest four days of my entire life. Um, from meeting John Tuesday on the range to Friday night, um, walking up 18. It was very quick. I, I felt super prepared and very unprepared simultaneously because I had walked the golf course on Monday and had all these notes in my, in my yardage book and then pretty much tossed all those notes away after he played golf with Freddie Couples and Steve Purcell on, on Tuesday afternoon. Um, it was awesome. I was, I was super young when, when he was a pitcher for the Braves, and so I only kind of really heard stories, but I didn't grow up watching him pitch, unlike my uncle who's a diehard Braves fan. As am I. And, and watched the Braves from the times he was five years old mm -hmm. on, on TBS um, or on Turner Sports. So it was awesome, to say the least. I don't, I don't know how you simplify it more. And then my favorite memory of the whole deal is, I think it was Friday, because um, John didn't make the cut. You guys are sitting on 18, and they've got John mic'd up. Fox, Fox Sports had John mic'd up, and he's having a conversation with you about what he needs to hit, what he wants to hit, what you think you know he needs to hit. I think it was Brad Faxton. It was Azinger. Oh, was it Azinger on the on the broadcast? Um, says, oh, I, I would never, I would never allow my caddy to tell me what to hit. John hit what he wanted to, and it was the wrong club. Uh, how how often do you think about? that moment or just some you know someone like an idiot like me bring it up um it was simple i mean the ball was sitting down and so i thought it was the, it was a correct yardage so long story short all week long i converted all of yardages that he had into sea level yardages that he would experience down in atlanta okay. that's what i did mm -hmm. so i never gave him a number that was actual number I just always took that number and I just straight converted. So I only told him the no, one number and that was converted and that included uphill, downhill, that included changing it from altitude to sea level. And so it was a perfect number for him if it were sea level six iron. I think it was about 190 yards here in Colorado Springs. But the ball was sitting down, it was in the first cut and I always know, growing up at the Broadmoor, that the 18th green, it's super soft in front. The ball never wants to bounce up onto the green. And so I knew we needed to fly it to the front edge. And so I was like, John, I think we got to hit five here. And then I remember watching the broadcast afterwards, and Azinger talked all about, my caddy would never tell me what to hit. I'm going to hit what club I want to. And fortunately, it landed six or seven yards short and just didn't bounce up. And it wasn't in a terrible place to a front pin, but uh, we didn't get it up and down. <laughs> When the broadcast doesn't do it justice, right? Because they have no idea that you're this local kid who's grown up, played probably hundreds of rounds of golf at the Broadmoor. So what is it about a situation like that that we, you know, and I say we as in like the me and the, um, the media people you've dealt with, 
How important can storytelling be just in a regular situation like that, whether it's you at the Broadmoor or one of your girls on the golf course playing, you know, maybe her 15th round there? You know, how, how crucial are we to really demonstrating that story? Well, I think it just has to do that, 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 ex, that thing of experience just goes a long way. Um, we talk about it as far as coaching concerned is the more experience you have, the more times you've been in that situation or, or, or situation similar, I think the better off you are. Like that's, that's kind of one, like I love being in pressure packed situations because I know the next time I'm in that situation, I'm going to perform better. I just, I love that. And so I think having that mentality that you embrace that pressure, you embrace that situation, and the more times that you experience it, you're going to handle it better. Otherwise, you're going to stop doing what you're doing if you're not handling it better. And if you don't love those situations, you might just stop doing it because those situations can, can be a little rough for you mentally. You can, eat, you can be eaten alive. Absolutely, 100%. And that's why they say it's not over till it's over. <laughs> have, you, uh, have you ever been eaten alive on a golf course? Pinehurst number two ate me alive. Yep. <laughs> In the U.S. Amateur. That's right. What, uh, what was the scoop behind that? Um, it's the most difficult golf course I've ever played. It required you to hit a great tee shot. It required you to hit a great iron shot. And it required you to hit good putts. I mean, it's like any golf course. It was just one where you needed to shape pretty much every tee shot a little bit left to right or a little bit right to left. And I'm a person that loves to hit the golf ball really straight. So I missed some fairways because I wasn't able to shape the ball the right way. Um, I missed some greens because I always like to call Piners number two is upside down teacups. So if you don't land that ball right in the middle of that green, it's just going to roll 20 yard, 20, 30 yards away from the, from the, from the pin. And then I never experienced this until I got to Piners number two that I had a 12 footer and my goal was to keep the ball on the green. <laughs> I never, like I've played the Broadmoor 500 times and I never had the feeling that I was going to put this golf ball off the green like I did at Piners number two. And so I actually played pretty well. I shot 75, um, which was five over because it was par 70. Um, and I licked my wounds and I didn't play very well the first day on Piners number four. And so I, I missed the cut. Uh, for match play by two or three shots, but it was the most awesome and the worst 18 holes I've ever played in my entire life. How does that help you if you see one of your girls getting eaten alive on a golf course? Yeah, it's one of those things where you, you want them to just almost step back, take some deep breaths, um, stay in the moment, like understand you can only hit control this shot, try to convey to them that all the other holes don't matter, even though at the end of the round they're pretty much tired and done and want to go home <laughs> um so just trying to maintain and be positive um i'm not one that's ever going to yell at one of my golf girls versus i would yell at one of my basketball boys for turning the ball over or something like that or taking a bad shot and that's just those different styles of coaching in a completely different environment um i guess Sometimes I, I should probably expect more from my golf girls, and I don't, uh, because I want to support them and I want them to get better and I see potential in them, versus sometimes with my basketball boys, because we're in the gym for so long every single day, and it gets really infuriating when they make the same mistake over and over and over again, that sometimes you want to lose your cool. And um, I feel like I have so much more to learn 
coaching basketball than I do coaching golf. And yet I still have so much more to learn coaching golf. <laughs> so you get to you get to take these girls out to places like the Country Club Colorado, Colorado Springs Country Club, Flying Horse, Eisenhower up at the Air Force Academy. Is there a moment where even as a coach you have to stop and remember how um, how grateful you can be for being involved in a sport that gets to put you in such spectacular locations and be able to let these girls do something that that they love? Yeah, it's awesome. And and what's great too is I have so many stories. I'm like, yeah, I played that hole. Or you won't believe this one time when I was on number one in Eisenhower. And I flew it right in the flew it right in the hole from the fairway. Um, and I always saw Did I, you really do that? Yeah. Okay. The day before my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was, oh, man. It's a great story. Um, so we're playing the day before my wedding, October 1st, 2021. We start on 7. So it was guys playing. Uh, I was playing with some of my buddies. And uh, we come to 18, and I got pitching wedge. Hey, right down the middle of the fairway. Uh, pins back left. Can't see the green. Can just see the pin a little bit. Hit a great wedge up there. I walk up on the green. There's no, there's no balls on the green because my buddies are schmucks. Um, and look in the hole, and it's in the hole. What? So my buddies go get some drinks. I'm standing on the first tee. Hit my ball right down the middle of the fairway. Got pitching wedge again. Hit that wedge. Dunk. I made hole out back-to-back eagles in the span <laughs> on of— 18 and 1. In the span of 15 minutes. On the blue course? On the blue course. Oh, those are the kind of stories that that every will make every golfer on the planet hate you. <laughs> so it was awesome. I mean, I had I had three eagles, I had six birdies, I shot sixty two. It was awesome, and I hadn't touched a golf club in a month. And it was the day before our wedding. It was it was a really good time. We had a couple drinks. It was it was super neat. That's a, that's a good pre wedding story. I yeah. was able to uh, Logan Hale, the girl from Erie yesterday at the country club of Colorado and we're gonna this is a little bit of a rabbit hole here and then we'll wrap this up but she um she smokes a three wood yesterday on 12 and hits cart path twice eventually it's sitting on the road or near enough to the road where I think her stance she might have had a foot on the sidewalk she can't play it there they're playing everything is you know red stakes instead of white stakes so she's able to drop and um I think she made she might have made double on that hole but uh, I'm walking up to the next tee, and she said something to me, and I said, if it makes you feel any better, buddy of mine, Brian Vecchio, we, we're playing 13. He hits his drive, and we're not watching the ball because the driver head is flipping end over end into the hay because it's in the summer and all that, that stuff on the right's grown up. It took us longer to find the, um, the driver head than I think it did the ball, and the ball was maybe 20 yards off the green. <laughs> And I think he made par. I can't remember. Uh, that's a good score for him. <laughs> you know he's going to listen to this, too. So, um, Let's see. This uh, We're recording this on a Friday. And a week from today, you guys are out at Eisenhower. So what's, what's the goal for the next league tournament on your schedule? Lots of chipping and putting. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent of that. I think anybody can always get better at chipping and putting. And so we will be spending a lot of time here this next week chipping and putting. Just getting that feel down, um, being able to hit chip shots low and chip shots high and, 
and really working on, on getting our lag putts into a, a, I always call it a three-foot circle. Uh, that's, our, that's our main goal for outside 15 feet is to get those putts inside a three-foot circle. So that'll, that's what we'll be focusing on. We may hit golf balls one day, and my girls are going to hate it, and it's going to be just fine because we're going to chip and putt for the other four days that we have practice, and it'll be awesome. And then we'll be good and ready to go attack Eisenhower Blue next Friday. All right. We'll have fun. Thanks. The Spartans, along with the rest of the P-Pack, are back in action on Friday up at the Eisenhower Blue Golf Course for the Air Academy K-Dead Invitational. That was Doherty Girls golf coach Colin Prater, and this has been the latest edition of the 719 Coaches Show.